These verses are about the rules of fasting. Previously we learned about when we are supposed to fast, about the obligation of fasting. And if a person is not able to fast, then what should he do? And when is a person not able to fast? So we learned about those rules already. Now we're going to learn about what is it that is not allowed when a person is fasting? What is it that is allowed on in the night, in the night of the day of the fast? Right? So in other words, in the nights of the month of Ramadan, what is a person allowed to do? What is a person not allowed to do? Until when can he eat? From when to when can he eat? So these rules, inshallah, we are going to learn. Now, as you know that when a person is fasting, what is he not allowed to do? What is it that will break his fast? Eating, drinking, and fulfilling sexual desires. Right? So sexual intercourse. That will break a person's fast. It is something that is not allowed. Now before we continue, you might feel a little uncomfortable that we're talking about such things and that it's mentioned in the Qur'an. I mean, generally we don't talk about these things and you know we're supposed to be shy and modest and very careful. But the thing is that this is a part of our lives. Okay, This is a part of our lives, just like eating and drinking. For people who are married, sexual relations is a major part of their lives. So this is something that cannot be left out. And we know that Islam is a complete religion and Allah guides us with regards to every aspect of our lives, private or public. So that everything that we do becomes a means of pleasing Him. No action is wasted. No effort is wasted. Every effort draws a servant closer to Allah. Alright? So when we are studying about such things, yes, it is kind of awkward for many of us, but we shouldn't make a big deal out of it. Just treat it as a normal thing. Alright? Just treat it as a normal thing. Don't be like, oh my God, what's this? What's that? Don't have those smiles and you know, trying to control those smiles. No. Be normal about it. Alright? And if there's some things that are beyond your understanding, given your age, then don't think too much about it. Inshallah, when the right time comes, you will be able to understand it. Okay? Inshallah. So, أُحِلَّ لَكُمْ لَيْلَةَ الصِّيَامِ الرَّفَثُ إِلَى نِسَائِكُمْ أُحِلَّ It has been made permissible from halal. Halam, lam. What is made halal? لَكُمْ for you. Meaning for you, O believers, when you're fasting. لَيْلَةَ الصِّيَامِ In the night of the fast. What is the night of the fast? We know that in our religion, the date changes when the night comes in. Not when the day comes, but the night comes. This is why we look at the moon. If the moon has been seen, has been sighted, then the next day we will fast. Alright? So, the 24 hours, the date changes when? When the night comes in. So the night preceding the day when you will fast. So from Fajr, he will start fasting. Before that, the night, that is Laylat al-Siyam. So in that night, what is permissible for you? Arrafathu ila nisaikum. Arrafath is from the root letters rafatha. And rafath is basically to indulge in the satisfaction of sexual desire. So it is sexual conduct. And it doesn't just refer to sexual intercourse, but any other relationship that is between a husband and wife that is of sexual nature, it is included in arrafath. So this rafath is permissible for you, meaning intimacy. This is permissible for you. Ila nisa'ikum, to your women. Nisa is a plural of niswa. It means women. And over here it refers to wives. So in other words, the husband and wife are allowed to engage in sexual relationship when? In the night. In the day it is not permissible, but during the night it is permissible. During the day, if a person does that, it will break the fast. But during the night, it is absolutely permissible. Why is this being mentioned? We learned that initially, initially, 
when the commands were being revealed on the Prophet ﷺ for the Muslims, initially the fasting, it was such that if a person slept after Maghrib, whether he prayed Isha or he did not, if he slept, even if he snoozed for five minutes, for ten minutes, then if he woke up, then he was not allowed to eat, drink, or have any sexual relations until the next day, meaning until the fast would come to an end, the sunset of the next day. Initially, this was the rule. But, as we know, it became very difficult for the people. We know from a hadith, Qais bin Sirma al-Ansari, he was fasting one day and he was working in his land. He was a farmer. And when the time to break the fast came, he went home and he asked his wife, do you have any food? And she said, I don't have any, but I can try to get you some. And this just shows what a difficult, what a difficult life people were living in Medina initially. Times were very tough. Things were very difficult for the people financially. Imagine you go home after a whole day of fasting and you find out there's no food. Imagine. What would you do in such situations? You would say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to fast these days because we don't have much food. And whatever I can find at whatever part of the day, I will eat, so I'm not going to fast. But we see that the Sahaba, they would still fast. So anyway, she tried to get some food for him, but he was so tired that before she brought the food, he fell asleep. And when she came back with the food, she said, Warn to you, did you sleep? Like, why did you sleep? Now you can't eat. Now you can't drink anything. So that companion... Obviously, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, and he spent the night like that, the rest of the night, and the day of the fast also, and the next day he collapsed, he fainted. Because fasting is obligatory. He missed his suhoor or his meal or whatever, it was his fault. But if you think about it, he was exhausted, and he just fell asleep. And it's understandable. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he found out about that, then after that, these verses were revealed that Uhillalakum Laylata Suyamir Rafathu Ilanisaikum. Meaning throughout the night, throughout the night, you can engage in sexual intimacy, and obviously if that is permissible, then what else is permissible? Eating and drinking is also permissible. So in other words, that previous instruction was abrogated. It was abrogated. So Uhillalakum Laylata Suyamir Rafathu Ilanisaikum. And especially Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this, that sexual relationship in the night is permissible for you throughout the night of the fast. Why? Because hunna libasul lakum wa antum libasul lahun. Hunna, this is a feminine of hum. Hum is masculine and hunna is feminine. So hum means they, meaning men, and hunna means they, meaning women. So your wives, in other words, they are libasul lakum. They are a garment for you. They are clothing for you. Lambasin. Wa antum and you, O men, are libasun. You are garments for who? Lahunna for them, meaning for your wives. In other words, the husband and wife, their relationship is very, very close. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes it like clothes, like garments. If you think about it, your clothes, are they very close to you? Of course they're very close to you. They're touching your body. They cover you. Right? So just as your clothes are very close to you, likewise the husband and wife are also very close to one another. And it's not possible that the husband and wife, they're living together for 30 days, they're fasting during the day, and if they end up sleeping in the night, or if they're not allowed to have any sexual relations in the night, it's not possible for them to live like that. It's not fair. So just like you can't do without your clothes for a long time, I mean, if you're wearing very short clothes, then you start getting cold, and you end up putting a hoodie or, or a sweater or a shawl or something on yourself, because you don't feel comfortable, right? You feel that clothes are a necessity. They are a need. You can't do without your clothes. Likewise, the husband and wife cannot do without each other. And it's not just about seeing one another and eating with one another, but the close, intimate relationship that is between them, they cannot live for long without that, especially when they're living together. 
So this is the reason why that command was abrogated. That if you do end up sleeping in the night, if you wake up in the night, then it is permissible for you. You may have sexual relations with one another. But this is so beautiful that Allah calls a husband and wife, what? Clothing for each other. This is a very beautiful thing. First of all, we see equality in this. That just as the wife is like a clothing, a garment for the husband, the husband is also clothing garment for who? For the wife. Just as the husband needs the wife, the wife also needs the husband. Just as the husband has some rights, likewise the wife also has some rights. You understand? Just as the husband loves his wife, the wife also loves her husband. It's a very intimate, a very close relationship. Then we also see that clothing, your clothes, protect you. Right? First of all, they are a need. You cannot do without it. Right? So likewise, the husband and wife cannot do without it. Then secondly, we see that clothing, your clothes, they protect you. They protect you. From what? From what? Go out in the cold when it's minus 20 without a jacket. Go out without socks. What will happen to you? What will happen to you? You'll just get cold? No, you could get seriously ill. Right? Likewise, go out in the heat, uncovered. You could get sunburnt. Right? You can get overheated. So, clothing, clothes are what? They protect you. Likewise, the husband and wife also protect each other. Protect each other in what way? That first of all, they are protective of each other, they are responsible for each other, they want the best for one another, they want to save each other, you know, from the hellfire or from any hardship in this world, from any difficulty in this life. They strive to protect one another. But we see that the husband and wife also protect the private parts of each other. How? The Prophet ﷺ advised the young people that those of you who can afford, who are able to get married. Why? Because it will protect your private parts. Sexual desires are something that is natural. And when a person is married, then it is a means of fulfilling those desires in a halal way. So they protect a person from doing what is unlawful, from what is haram. So just as your clothes cover you, likewise, the husband and wife also protect each other. Because many people, what happens with them is that once they become religious, they think, I'm not getting married. I'm going to study, and I'm going to become an alim, and I'm going to become a sheikha. I'm not getting married. I'm going to go to Saudi, and I'm going to go to Egypt, and I'm going to study. I'm not getting married. People saw that with so much confidence. But what do we see? You can live like that. You can become a scholar. You can become a very learned person. But you cannot neglect your basic need. Likewise, some people say, oh, why get married, you know, if you're going to end up in a divorce? How do you know you're going to end up in a divorce? How do you know that relationship might be the best relationship that you've ever had with anybody? How do you know? Some people say, I don't want to get married, you know, being a wife is too hard, it's too difficult, being a mother is impossible, this is not me, I can't even think like that. Or they say, I'm perfectly fine as a single you know, I have a very happy life, I'm independent, I work, I make my own money, I can go, I can come back however I wish, whenever I want. If I have a husband, then I'll have to answer to him, and I'll have to take care of him, I'll have to fulfill certain responsibilities, and I don't want to live like that. I like the way I am. I don't think I need to get married. But what do we see here? Can you say, I don't need to wear clothes? If a person says that, I don't need to wear clothes, what will you say to them? What will you say to them? You're right. So likewise, marriage is something that is essential. Likewise, we see that clothes, they beautify you. Don't they? Do they beautify you? Yes, they do. You know, you could be wearing nothing and you could be wearing something very nice. There is a difference. Just the other day I read a quote somewhere that if beauty was, or if freedom was in nakedness, then all animals would be free or something like that. That animals don't wear clothes like human beings do. Right? Human beings wear clothes and with those clothes they adorn themselves. Correct? So clothing is a means of beautifying you. 
So don't think that marriage is evil. It's not evil. It is beautiful. But you have to strive to make it beautiful. And any marriage, you can strive to make it beautiful. And if it doesn't work out, then Allah is also open up the ways for ending it. But why not even try it out of fear that it might not work? So, هُنَّ لِبَاسٌ لَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لِبَاسٌ لَهُمْ Also we see that clothing is a means of comfort. Clothes, they bring you comfort. You know, sometimes you're wearing this shirt or this hoodie or this pair of pajamas and you're so comfortable in them. You feel so light, you feel so relaxed. And you couldn't have experienced that enjoyment, that comfort, unless you wore those clothes. Right? So likewise, the comfort, the joy that comes from marriage cannot be enjoyed, cannot be experienced unless the person is married. So anyway, we see that the relationship between the husband and the wife is a very intimate, a very close relationship. Yes, it comes with its own challenges, but at the same time, it comes with its own beauty and enjoyment as well. If you think about it, clothes, if you want to get comfortable clothes that fit you well, that look good on you, will you spend time looking for those clothes? I see people going from one store to the other, one mall to the other, every other weekend they're looking for that particular shade of that particular style, and they can't find it, and they will not settle for anything less. They spend their time and effort into that. Right? And likewise, to wear clothes, don't you have to go through the effort of ironing them, and washing them, and dry cleaning them, or whatever? You have to. So it comes with its challenges, with its difficulties, but at the same time, it has many benefits. You know, people go to weddings and they're wearing the most uncomfortable clothes. Right? The most uncomfortable ones. But just because they look very nice on them, they will still wear them. And if, you know, they get stained, that's it, they could get ruined. So they have to be extremely careful in what they eat, how much they eat, how they eat. They take that precaution. Why? Because wearing those clothes is worth it. So we should also make this very clear that getting married is something that is a part of our faith. As we know that marriage is something that perfects, completes one's iman. It is half of faith. So, هُنَّ لِبَاسٌ لَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لِبَاسٌ لَهُمْ عَلِمُ اللَّهُ Allah knows أَنَّكُمْ That indeed you, كُنْتُمْ you were تَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ You were all being unfaithful with yourselves. Allah knows that you were being dishonest with yourselves. You were committing khiyana with yourselves. Tahtanuna. Kha waw noon. Khiyana. Khiyana is betrayal. That when someone gives you something to keep, to guard, to take care of, and you fall short in taking care of it properly. So for example, they tell you, this is my plant. Please take care of it. This is an amana with you. So you water it for a day or two and then you forget about it. And then when they come back, they're like, Oh my God, you didn't water my plant? You're like, Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I couldn't be bothered. So the plant died by then. Then what was that? Khiyana. You fell short in your responsibility. Right? But khiyana is also to not do what a person is made responsible of. So for example, certain responsibilities are laid on a person. Certain rules are given that you have to do this, you cannot do that. And if a person does not follow that code properly, then what is that? Khiyana. So for example, a person is told, they're working at a business, they're told whatever money comes in, you have to write everything down, you have to record it, and then you have to deposit it in the bank, and you have to bring the receipt, and you have to submit it to your supervisor, whoever. And that person, what they do is, that they don't follow the rules properly. So for example, they were supposed to write down every transaction, they don't write down one transaction. Then what is that? Khiyana. So when it comes to fasting, are there some rules that we have to follow? What are they? We cannot eat, we cannot drink during the day. So if a person eats, then what is he doing? Khiyana. If a person drinks, then what is he doing? Khiyana. 
Likewise, at the beginning, initially we know, as I mentioned to you earlier, that in the night, if a person slept, if he woke up after that, even if it was still night time, he was not allowed to eat or drink or have sexual relations. But what happened was, that some people, they did khiyana in that. They said, it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Inshallah, Allah will forgive us, no problem. And they had relations the husband and wife, they would have relations in the night of the fasting after they had slept. Okay? So before the next day began, the, before the next fast began, in the same night, because they slept earlier, they had those relations. So this was what? Khiyana. This was not that they were like, I don't care about the rules that Allah has given. No. But this was like, you know, it doesn't matter. Allah is forgiving. It's not that big of a deal. So Allah says, Allah knows that you were doing khiyana with yourselves. Notice Allah does not say you were doing khiyana with me, but that you were doing khiyana with who? With yourselves. Because whenever we do something wrong, even if it's slightly wrong, does your heart not tell you? Does your heart not stop you? Don't you have this bad feeling, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be saying that? So when we do something wrong, when we don't follow the rules, who are we actually betraying? Ourselves. Because who are we harming? Ourselves. So, عَلِيمَ اللَّهُ أَنَّكُمْ كُنْتُمْ تَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ You were being unfaithful to yourselves. Allah knows about that. And this also shows to us that no matter how personal and how private of a matter it may be, who knows if we're being honest or dishonest? Allah knows. You know, for example, your goal could be that you have to recite, let's say, a juz a day. Okay? And you're like, no, I have to recite it. Not listen to it, but I have to recite it myself. And then you're like, you know what, I'm too tired. So it's okay. Let me just leave out the surah. I know it already. I'll recite it tomorrow. It's only one page long anyway. Is that khiyana? Nobody knows about it. Only you know. And Allah knows about it. You made a promise. You made a commitment. And you're not fulfilling it properly. So that is also khiyana. So even in the most private matters, when we do khiyana, who knows? Allah knows. And this is why we see that once the Prophet ﷺ, he was passing by these graves, and he told the people that the people inside are being punished. They're facing adab al-qabr, the punishment of the grave. And not for something terrible. But one of them, he was being punished for what? For not being careful when he urinated. Meaning... When he urinated, the sprinkles of urine would fall on him and he wouldn't care about that. Najasa, filth would fall upon him and he wouldn't care about that. Who knows about you caring or not caring about tahara, about cleanliness in the washroom? Who knows about that? You and Allah only. Other people don't know. But Allah knows and you know about it. So if you're not careful, you are being treacherous with yourself. You're being unfaithful to yourself. So Allahu annakum kuntum takhtanuna anfusakum. And this is why we have to be conscious of Allah everywhere. Whenever we're doing anything. Because Allah is watching us. Fataba alaykum. So Allah has turned in mercy on you. Meaning Allah has lifted this ban from you, this difficulty from you, this prohibition from you, فَتَابَ alaykum. What was the prohibition? That they were not allowed to have any relations in the night if they slept before. So now Allah has turned in mercy on you, meaning He has lifted that prohibition from you, وَعَفَا عَنْكُمْ And He has also pardoned you. عَفْوٌ عَيْنْفَا wow. He has pardoned you, forgiven you for what? He has forgiven you for what? For the khiyana that you committed. Why did Allah forgive them for that khiyana? Because they didn't do it out of rebellion. That I don't care about it. They did it because they were after all human beings. And they were weak like all human beings are. And they didn't realize that it would be very serious. So... This is why Allah says, وَعَفَا عَنْكُمْ And Allah has pardoned you. It was also extremely difficult. So Allah has pardoned you. فَالْآنَ So now, الآن, Hamza وَعُنُونَ الآن means present time. 
So fal an so from now on, in other words, bashiruhunna. You may have sexual relations with them. Bashiruhunna, mubashara, bashinra, and this is a figurative way of saying sexual intercourse. It's not direct, but it's an indirect way of saying it. Okay, and it's from the word bashara. Bashara is the human skin, and in this relationship then the skin of the man touches the woman. So there's physical contact. So فَالْآنَ بَاشِرُهُنَّ You may have sexual relations with them. And over here, this command is of permissibility, that it is allowed for you. You may do that. وَبَتَغُوا And you seek بَغَيْنِيَ What should you seek? مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ What Allah has ordained for you. Meaning through this relationship, you shouldn't just be seeking pleasure and enjoyment. But you should also be seeking children. مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ What Allah has ordained for you. So in other words, the purpose of marriage in our religion is not just to fulfill, to have pleasure, to enjoy. However, it is also to have children. That is one of the main objectives of marriage. So, وَبْتَغُوا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ And this is the reason why a person should not delay having children or avoid having children unless there is a genuine reason. Unless there is a genuine reason. It doesn't mean that contraception is haram. No, it is allowed. However, the person must not forget the objective of marriage. So, وَبْتَغُوا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ It should be one of the priorities. وَكُلُوا and eat, washrabu, and drink. Meaning, you are allowed to eat, and you're also allowed to drink throughout the night of the days of fasting. Now, over here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers that you may have such relations with your spouse. What does it mean? That if a person does have such relations with his or her spouse, then that enjoyment is also what? An act of worship. Yes. Even that action, apparently obscene action, becomes what? An act of worship. Something that people feel ashamed of. No, this is not something to be ashamed of. In our religion, there is no asceticism, meaning that a person stays away from fulfilling sexual desires. No, there is nothing like that. We are to be modest, we are to be careful. And it means that Muslims have such relations with just anybody. No, they only have it with their spouse. And this is the reason why fornication, adultery is something that is not allowed. This is a relationship that is limited between a husband and wife. And when they fulfill that, when they do that, in fact, what are they doing? They are actually worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're actually obeying Allah. Alright? Even this is an act of ibadah. And we learn this from a hadith, that if a person fulfills his desire through haram, then that would be sin. So when he fulfills his desire through halal, then what is that? Then what is that? An act of worship. So, وَكُلُوا وَشْرَبُوا Eat and drink حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطُ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ Eat and drink. Kulu from Akala, Hamza Kaflam, and Washrabu from Sharab, Shin Raba, to drink. So eat and drink at any time during the night, Hatta until, what's the time limit? Yatabayyana, it becomes clear. Bayanun, what becomes clear, what becomes distinct? Lakum for you, Al Khaytul Abyad, the white thread, min from Al Khaytul Aswad, the black thread. The black thread of what? Min al Fajr at the time of. Fajr. What does it mean by this? The white thread and the black thread. That when you can distinguish between the white thread and the black thread, then you stop eating and drinking. What does it mean by that? Khayt is from khayata, and khayt is thread, string, and abyad, bayadad, white, and aswad, sin wawdal, sood, black. This white thread, black thread, refers to the Time of Fajr. Min al-Fajr. The time of Fajr. Because at the time of Fajr, what happens is that the light, after that, it starts to come in. Okay? And as the light comes in, you know, there is a crack of dawn. There, you see in the horizon a white line. 
Okay? You see it in the horizon. These days, since you're up anyway at that time, go outside, look through your window, go into your backyard and look at the sky. Because we miss out on that beauty. We really do. We deprive ourselves of that beauty of how the morning comes in, how the daylight comes in. And this is why it's called the crack of dawn. So it's literally like a thread in the sky. Okay? And then gradually that white thread, it starts to become bigger and bigger and the light comes in. So once that crack of dawn comes in, once the time of Fajr comes in, then what does it mean? You stop eating and drinking. Okay? This white thread, black thread, doesn't mean literally that you take a white thread and you take a black thread. Okay, and you keep looking at them throughout the night. Okay, when can I distinguish between the two? Because one of the companions, actually, that's what he thought it was. And he slept in the night with a white thread and a black thread under his pillow. And after every sometime, he would look at them and he would try to distinguish between them. And he's like, I don't get this. What's going on here? So the next day he went to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ joked with him and he said, Well, your pillow must be very huge. Okay, because the crack of dawn is of the horizon. How can you fit that under your pillow? Okay, so it doesn't mean literally, but this is referring to the crack of dawn, meaning the time of Fajr. So, حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطُ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ And what does it show? That we should eat and drink until that time. حَتَّى So in other words, we should delay the suhoor as much as possible. And obviously that happens anyway because we wake up barely 15-20 minutes before suhoor time ends. Right? But don't feel guilty if you do that. First of all, have suhoor. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, فَسَحَرُوا فَإِنَّ فِي السُحُورِ بَرَكَةِ There is barakah in that. There is blessing in that. So have that meal. And have it as late as possible. Because sometimes people will eat their suhoor at 2 o'clock, at 3 o'clock in the night, you know, hours before the time actually ends. No, you should have it at the final time, at towards the end of that period. Alright? حَتَّى يَتَّبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطُ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ ثُمَّ then, meaning once you see this, that fajr has begun, then أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامِ أَتِمُّ تَمِيمِيمِ to complete, to perfect something. So complete properly, الصيام, the fasting, إلى الليل, until the next night. Until Fajr, you eat, drink, have relations. After that, what does it mean? Your fasting has begun. And once your fast has begun, then you don't eat, you don't drink, you don't have any sexual relations. Until when? Until when? إلى الليل. But this night, لام يا لام. Does night mean Isha time? No. This night means the beginning of night time. And how does the night time begin? With the sunset. With the sunset. So that means we should delay as much as possible in suhoor. Okay? And we should do iftar immediately. We should do iftar, we should break the fast immediately. There is no piety in waiting. In fact, that is actually disobedience. It doesn't mean that five minutes before the sun sets, you break your fast. No. You will break your fast when the sun sets. But don't delay unnecessarily. Alright? That even if a person can have a sip of water, he should do that. Whatever little a person can take, he should take that and break his fast. So for example, if a person is in the car at that time, what should they do? What should they do? Whatever they have, they should use that to break their fast. They shouldn't say, okay, you know, my house is only five minutes away. I'll just wait until I get home and then I'll sit down easily and then I'll open my fast. No, you don't wait. Wherever you are, you should open your fast. So, ثُمَّ أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامَ إِلَى اللَّيْلِ The Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا أَقْبَلَ اللَّيْلُ مِنْ هَاهُنَا وَأَدْبَرَ النَّهَارُ مِنْ هَاهُنَا that when the night approaches from this direction, meaning the east, and the day departs from that direction, meaning the west, then at Maghrib time you see that. The day going away and the night approaching from the other side, and the sun sets, then the fasting person breaks his fast. So at that time, break your fast. وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ So until now, we have learned about the rules of 
what is allowed and what is not allowed, the timings of eating, drinking and sexual relations during the night and during the day. Now, with regards to i'tikaf. I'tikaf. What is i'tikaf? I'tikaf is from the root letters ayn kafa. Okay? And rukuf is to devote oneself to something completely. That you're doing only that and nothing else. You devote yourself completely to something that you're doing only that and nothing else. But there's also the element of clinging to something and not leaving it. And it gives a meaning of devotion, worship. Alright? So i'tikaf is that when a person stays in the masjid, he clings to the masjid. And what is he doing over there? Playing foosball? Like some people do? You know, talking and talking and talking in the night with all the friends who are hanging out at the masjid? No. Or playing basketball like some people do? No. I'tikaf is that you stay in the masjid and what do you do? You worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. While other people are in their homes, they are reading something, they are checking their email, they are talking to their family members, they are out and about. What are you doing? You are in the masjid only worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? And worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does that mean? That a person is praying salah, whether it is fard or nafal or sunnah. Okay? And he's reciting the Qur'an, he's making dua, he's doing dhikr. Okay? There are different ways of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's engaged in that constantly. So, where is i'tikaf done? My question to you is, where is i'tikaf done? In the masjid. When is it done? In the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan. Does it mean that a person is only in the masjid during the daytime? No. He's also supposed to be in the masjid in the night time. And he stays in the masjid. Can he go out? He can. But just to do something very important, urgent, quickly and return to the masjid immediately. Okay? Not that a person goes home and takes a nap and showers and you know, has fun and then he comes back after some time. No. He's in the masjid mainly. And if for something, he has to go to the parking lot to get something from his car... That's a different story, okay? So that's permissible. So anyway, now with regards to i'tikaf, Allah says, وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ And do not have sexual relations with them. With who? With your wives. Meaning the husband and wife cannot have sexual relations. وَأَنْتُمْ While you are عَاكِفُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ عَاكِفُونَ Plural of عَاكِف One who does i'tikaf. عَيْنْ كَافَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ Masajid is the plural of masjid. Seen jim dal. So when you are doing i'tikaf in the masjid, then in the night you are not allowed to have any sexual relations with your spouse. You understand? Otherwise, in the month of Ramadan, can a person have sexual relations with the spouse in the night time? Yes, they can. But if a person is doing i'tikaf and he is in the masjid, then he's not going to take a break and go home and then come back. No, he's not allowed to do that. وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَأَنْتُمْ عَاكِفُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ And this also proves that i'tikaf is where? فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ It's not anywhere else. And al-masajid means all masajid, any masjid. It doesn't have to be masjid al-haram. It doesn't have to be masjid al-nabui. It can even be the jami masjid of your city or any masjid. Okay? As long as the arrangements are made, then you can do i'tikaf over there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tilka hududullah. Tilka that, hududullah, they are the limits, they are the boundaries that have been set by who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't go near them. Hudud is a plural of had, had al dal. And had is a limit. What is had? A limit. And hududul dar, hudud of the dar, of the house, what are they? The boundary wall of the house. Okay? And over here, for example, in your backyard, okay, you have a fence. Correct? That fence, what does it do? What's the purpose of that fence? To separate your yard from your neighbor's yard. 
Right? That means that if your neighbors are playing in their backyard, they should not come to your backyard. They should not come to your lot. They should stay in their lot. So that fence is like a boundary. Right? Is a boundary. Likewise, some factories, some buildings, some houses are such that they actually have a boundary wall outside. And you see a sign, no trespassing. Right? That you're not allowed to come in. Okay? So, boundaries, they are set. Why? So that people know they're not allowed to cross them. They're not allowed to do, to go inside. So tilka hududullah, meaning these are the limits that Allah has set and you're not allowed to violate them. Meaning what is inside the limits is something that is prohibited. Something that you're not allowed to do, the don'ts. And you're not going to approach them. You're not going to indulge in them. There is a fence that has been put around and you're not going to trespass. And sometimes it happens that a boundary wall is put. Why? Because what is inside is dangerous. It's not safe. People should not go there. Right? So for example, a construction zone. There is a boundary wall around so that people just don't wander over there. They don't accidentally even end up over there. Why? Because if they end up, they could actually get harmed. I remember once we were in Makkah, we had gone for Hajj, and um, there was a building that was being constructed, and it was dug deep, you know, inside. You could imagine if, if a tall building is being constructed, how deep the ground would be dug from before. So anyway, and there was a boundary wall, and there was a yellow tape as well, caution. You know that don't come close here, because if you do, you could get hurt. You could actually fall. And then, after a few days, they saw something white, you know, deep down. And they checked, it was actually a person who had fallen in his ihram. So anyway, he died in Makkah, in the state of ihram, in the days of Hajj. So that is indeed a very blessed thing. But I was thinking at that time, that if there is a tape, you know, caution, it's written. Warning signs are there. There is a boundary wall as well. Then we should not go over there. Right? We should not go over there. Because it's not safe. It is for our own benefit that that boundary wall has been put. Likewise, there are some things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Allah has not allowed for us that we should do them. And He has clearly told us about the rules. لا تباشروهن Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. So when you're not allowed to do that, what does it mean? This is a prohibition. There is a boundary wall. Don't even go near that. So tilka hududullah. Allah says, فَلَا تَقْرَبُوهَا Don't even go near them. قَافْ قُرْبْ To go close. So don't even approach the prohibited things. Don't even approach those things which are haram. Why? Because if you go near to that which is haram, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to end up falling into it. So for example, there is a ditch and there is a boundary wall and it says, don't trespass, don't come here. Caution. And you say, okay, let me just go see how deep it is. Let me just go check it out. Let me just see what's inside. And if you go near, is it possible that you may fall? Is it possible? Yes, the chances are very high. You could slip, you could get alarmed by something, you could get terrified, you could get pushed by somebody, and you could fall very easily, you could get hurt. So many times it happens that people fall in a ditch or something like that, in a well, and they die. What were you doing there in the first place? You shouldn't have gone there. Likewise, people say, oh, I ended up doing something very wrong. Why did you even go near that? Why did you even put yourself in that situation? The hypocrites... About them, the believers will say on the Day of Judgment that فَتَنْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ You put yourselves in fitna. You put yourselves in those situations where you could not control yourselves, where you could not stop yourselves, and you did wrong as a result of that. 
Adam alayhi salam, when he was in paradise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, وَلَا تَقْعَبَ هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةِ Don't even come close to the tree. Because if you come close to the tree, you will be tempted. You will wonder, okay, what does the fruit taste like? I wonder what it is like. So, you're going to be tempted and you're going to end up eating of it. And that's exactly what happened. When we keep looking at that which is wrong, then we are tempted to do it. So Allah says, these are the limits that have been set by Allah and don't even come near to them. Don't even come close to that which is forbidden. Stay far away from it. كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ آيَاتِهِ Thus does Allah clarify to you, آيَاتِهِ His verses, لِلنَّاسِ For the people, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ So that they can save themselves. Allah has elaborated the ayat over here, the commands over here, the rules over here, very clearly, very explicitly. This is what is allowed, this is what is not allowed. Why? So that you can save yourself. Save yourself from what? From the anger of Allah, from the punishment of Allah. Because if you don't find out, and if you do something wrong, whose fault is it? Your fault. If you don't know the rules, and you end up in an accident, whose fault is it? It's your fault. This is why they say that driving is a privilege, it's not a right. And before you start driving, you have to take a test to prove that you know the rules of the road. And if you don't know, you're not allowed to drive. Even in emergency cases. You're not allowed. So... Allah has clarified the ayat. Why? So that you can save yourselves. And if we don't get to know about those ayat, and we end up harming ourselves, then whose fault is it? It's our fault. Let's listen to the recitation. أُحِلَّ لَكُمْ لَيْلَةَ الصِّيَامِ الرَّفَثُ إِلَى نِسَائِكُمْ هُنَّ لِبَاسٌ لَكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لِبَاسٌ لَهُمْ عَلِمَ اللَّهُ أَنَّكُمْ كُنْتُمْ تَخْتَانُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ فَتَابَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَعَفَا عَنْكُمْ فَالْآنَ بَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَابْتَغُوا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَكُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ ثُمَّ أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامَ إِلَى اللَّيْلِ وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَأَنْتُمْ عَاكِفُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ تِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ فَلَا تَقْرَبُوهَا كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ آيَاتِهِ لِلنَّاسِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ are we allowed to eat generally? Yes. yes. Are we allowed to drink generally? Yes. Are we allowed to spend the night at home generally? Yes. But when a person is fasting or when a person is in irtikaf, then these things that are permissible, they become haram. You can't do them. Allah says, تِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ فَلَا تَقْرَبُوهَا So what does that teach us? That if at the command of Allah you will stay away from that which is generally allowed for you to do, and you can do that, then otherwise you should stay away from what? What is completely forbidden for you. What you're not allowed to do at all. Ramadan teaches us that we can control ourselves. We can stop ourselves. There's some things that Allah has completely forbidden on us. But we still give excuses. No, I'm in a situation that I have to do this. I'm in such a situation that I have to do that. And we know it's wrong, but we still do it. But fasting teaches us that we can stay away from wrong things, from those things which Allah has forbidden. And that's exactly what is mentioned next. That, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا And do not eat. Just as when you're fasting, you don't eat halal food. Otherwise, do not eat, do not consume, what? Amwalakum, your properties, bainakum, between yourselves, bilbatil, in the false ways, in the wrong ways. La ta'kulu, akala. Akala is to eat something. Allah is saying, don't eat amwalakum. Amwal is a plural of mal. And as you know that mal is not just food, but it includes your clothes and your house and your car. You don't eat your car, you don't eat your house. So what does it mean by this? Do not consume. Okay? 
And also we think about it, when you eat food, then whatever money that you spent on that food, it's gone. Right? You had five dollars. You went and bought some food. And you ate that food. Where did those five dollars go? Where did they go? Gone. Finished. Okay. You have another five dollars. And you go and buy a hijab for those five dollars. Now those five dollars have been converted into a hijab. Does that hijab have some value? Yes. You could sell it for fifteen dollars. Right? You could make money through that. But when you eat something, then it's gone. Alright? So, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ Amwal is a plural of mal. Don't consume your wealth. And your, kum is plural. It means of one another, of each other. Because all Muslims, they're like a single body. Right? So don't consume the wealth of each other. بَيْنَكُمْ How بِالْبَاطِلِ Batil is what? False, wrong, incorrect. So don't consume the wealth of each other through wrong ways. Battle is from Batalam, through incorrect ways, through prohibited ways. Transactions, business, buying and selling, you know, gifting something and receiving a gift, all of this is what? Permissible. But there are some ways of acquiring wealth that are wrong. What are they? Can you think of something? A wrong way of acquiring wealth? Yes? Okay, for example, gambling. Yes? Stealing. Yes? Interest. What else is haram? Bribe. Right? That is also haram. So, don't use wrong ways to consume the wealth of each other. وَلَا تَكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ And if you think about it, Batal is basically when a person consumes, takes the wealth of the other, when he doesn't have the right to do so. When he doesn't have the right to do so. So, for example, theft. It's not your right to take that money. But if you take it, what is that? Batal way of acquiring that wealth. Right? Likewise, if a property, if some wealth belongs to an orphan, if there is a share of inheritance that is the right of a particular heir. And if you take it, if you take the wealth of the orphan, then this is what? Batil, wrong. This is not right. Allah tells us don't do that. If you can control yourself in the month of Ramadan and not eat and not drink when the food is right in front of you and you're desperate for that food, you're hungry, you're thirsty, but you control yourself. So other times, even when you want that money, don't take interest. Even when you want more money, don't steal, don't cheat, don't bribe. وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ Notice the wow. Wow is known as harf atf in Arabic. It means and, right? But in the English language, whenever we use and, sometimes we're establishing a connection between two words. Okay, or between two sentences. Is it? Words and sentences, you're connecting them. So in Arabic also it works the same way. So what tudulu, meaning, and do not tudulu. Just as la ta'kulu, so what tudulu, this is connected with wa la ta'kulu. So just as la ta'kulu, so la tudulu. La is not written here, but it is meant, it is implied. And do not tudulu biha ilal hukam. Tudulu is from the root letters dal, lam, waw. Dalu. And dalu is used for a bucket. A bucket. Especially that bucket which is thrown down into a well, and with that you take water out. Okay? So you throw the bucket into the well, and you pull it out, and as you pull it out, with the bucket comes what? With the bucket comes water. So, tudulu biha, meaning through your wealth, you pull to yourselves, you take to yourselves, you bring to yourself. Why would a person use a bucket? Because that water is inaccessible to him. Otherwise he cannot reach it. 
he cannot put his hand down or put a straw in okay and get that water out so he has to use some means likewise sometimes it happens that there is some property and you are not deserving of it you are not deserving of it you're not legally allowed to take that property to take that wealth so sometimes what people do is that they use something to get that wealth they use something to get that wealth they use some trickery some deceit okay or sometimes they will bribe somebody all right and they will get that wealth so allah says don't even do that what to do biha ila al hukam ila al hukam hukam is a plural of hakim hakim is someone who does hukum and hukum is judgment ruling judgment or ruling so hakim in other words is who a judge someone who makes judgments iqadi okay but hakim is not just a judge but it also refers to someone who has authority a figurehead a ruler someone who is powerful so what tudlu biha ila al hukam what does it mean by this that do not use your wealth do not use your wealth to get that wealth which is inaccessible to you which you're not allowed to take and how would you do that by offering some of your wealth to who to the hukam this is another word referring to bribe that you bribe the judge okay you say you know what judge i'll give you 50000 just make this decision in my favor that the house that me and this person are fighting over you say that it's my right you give it to me you give it to me and i'll give you 25% of the share i'll give you 10% of the share i'll give you 50000 So don't use bribe. Don't bribe the judges in order to get wealth that is not your right. وَتُدُلُ بِهَا إِلَى الْحُكَّامِ Or another meaning could be that don't make the hukam a means of acquiring wealth unlawfully. That don't get some wealth, don't get some wealth, how? By acquiring it, unlawfully and how would you acquire it unlawfully by using the hukam that for example the wealth belongs to somebody else and you are debating in front of the judge you say you claim it's yours the other person claims it's his okay but you say in front of the judge that i swear by allah it belongs to me so if you're swearing by allah the judge is supposed to believe in you right the judge is supposed to believe in you so then he says okay fine this property will be yours and it's not actually yours it's not actually yours so the wealth belongs to somebody else and you say in front of the hukam that it is yours and the hakim the judge he decides it in your favor so what to do biha it's understood in two ways first of all to do biha meaning you make an offer to the judge bribe and secondly you pull with your wealth okay you pull you pull to yourself wealth that is not your right how by swearing in front of the judge lita kulu so that you may consume fariqan a portion min amwal an-nas of the property of people bil ismi with the sin wa antum ta'lamun while you know that don't bribe the judges and don't lie in front of the judges to get wealth sinfully and you know wa antum ta'lamun one is that a person does not know and he's making an error and such mistakes inshallah they are forgiven by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but if a person deliberately deliberately does something wrong knowingly then he is sinful لِتَأْكُلُوا فَرِيقًا مِنْ أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ بِالْإِثْمِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ So don't do that. Let's listen to the recitation. وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتُدْلُوا بِهَا إِلَى 
What do we learn in this ayah? Why do you think this is mentioned over here after the verses of fasting? That fasting teaches you taqwa. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ And this taqwa should not just be limited to when you're praying and when you're fasting, but it should affect you in every aspect of your life. From your financial transactions, to even your court cases, to your marital relations, everything. Have the fear of Allah. Because many times it happens that people will fast. But they will be the most mean people. Very rude. They break their promises. They're the ones who will take interest. They're the ones who will consume wealth unlawfully. So fasting teaches us that we have to spend our entire lives in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like somebody once said, that a dunya yawmun. This life, this world is only for a day. وَلَنَا فِيهِ صَوْمٌ And for us in it is a fast, meaning we are fasting. So just as in the day of fasting, you don't do what you want to do, you want to eat but you don't eat. Likewise, in the day of your life, don't do what Allah does not want you to do. The lessons of fasting are such that they guide us with regards to every aspect of our lives. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all taqwa that we need, that is necessary so that we can truly worship Him and we can be successful in the hereafter inshallah subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh